Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Constanji Brooks Smith & Profit, where we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host, partner, and friend, Sherry Silverman. Sherry, we have just about made it to the end of 2020. It has been a year full of change and challenge, or maybe it was a dumpster fire if you're being less optimistic and tactful. Um, I, for one, am ready to put this year in the rearview mirror. Susan, I don't know many people who would disagree with you, but to be perfectly honest, I have to chuckle a little when people get overly excited that the year is almost over because it's not like COVID is going to instantly disappear come January 1st. Okay, Eeyore, I do wish that I had that magic wand. However, I think people are just hopeful about the possibility of some change. I know. I'm sounding very glass half empty. Or if you've been following the 2020 meme trends, which I know you and I have, the one that comes to mind where it has a glass of wine and it says, optimist, colon, the glass is half full. Pessimist, colon, the glass is half empty. And then it says, 2020, colon, that's P, isn't it? Well, we're obviously <laughs> keeping it real and keeping it classy on the show, as always. Um, and hey, it's not all bad. We did launch this podcast in 2020, right? Yeah, good stuff. All right. So anyway, where I was going with this was that today I think we should do a countdown to 2021 in which we will look back at a few major developments of 2020 and some takeaways from those developments with a sneak peek as to what 2020 might have in store for employers. Okay. And I promise to be as positive and optimistic as I can. I'll take what I can get. Okay. So let's kick off with number 10 on our countdown list, the FFCRA. Bye now. We and... Yeah, basically every other company um, in the country has at least looked at and discussed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act a couple of times. And we've discussed it ad nauseum offline, but it bears mention again because it was a huge change that employers had to implement with very little notice. I'm sure our listeners are all very well aware of the requirements of the FFCRA, which included provisions like the emergency paid sick leave and expanded FMLA rights to um, employees who work for a company with fewer than 500 employees or a public employer. Oh, yes. And just as employers were starting to understand the FFCRA and get comfortable administering it, the DOL was updating its FAQs so employers could figure out some of the nuances, but then there was that lawsuit in New York, which ultimately led to the DOL issuing a revised rule to clarify and change some of the provisions. All the while, employees learned how to abuse the system by conveniently alleging they were suffering from COVID-19 symptoms and they needed to be out of work to get tested, all in the course of nine months. <laughs> I'm sick, boss. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, however, now that employers and employees alike have generally figured it out, it's now set to expire on December thirty first of twenty twenty. But 
is it going away or is it staying? Mm -hmm. Good question. So I think we should make that number nine in our countdown because it's a question I know you and I both have been getting a lot lately. Will the FFCRA be extended into 2021 or will we see new but similar legislation to help employees who just can't work due to these COVID-19 related reasons? It is a really good question. Sadly, neither the president or, you know, Congress has called me recently. So we don't have a definitive answer as of the time we're recording this. However, we can share our best guess and and share what we do know. We do know that an extension of the FFCRA's leave provisions was proposed in Congress under the HEROES Act. And the House of Representatives passed the bill in May, but it's kind of stalled. And of course, the details of that bill or any bill can change as it makes its way through the legislative system. So let's assume that no one takes action and come December 31st, there's no extension and no new law enacted. Presumably, employers can just stop providing paid leave or perhaps any leave at all for personal or childcare issues related to COVID-19 under the FFCRA, unless they're in a state or locality that independently requires such leave. And employers that decide to voluntarily continue some sort of FFCRA type program of paid leave would presumably not be able to benefit from the tax credits after December 31st. The other thing to keep in mind is that employers will need to evaluate employees who are taking FFCRA leave in order to determine whether they're eligible for other types of job protections like traditional FMLA or even ADA accommodations. Wow. And here's another thought. I have read that it's possible there may be an FFCRA extension or supplemental um, legislation of some variety, but not until President-elect Biden takes office. Last I heard, um, Biden's current COVID-19-related leave plans would expand the FFCRA to provide for 100% of wage coverage up to $1,400 a week, provide for paid leave during mandatory quarantine or isolation periods, and expand coverage to domestic workers, caregivers, gig economy workers, and other independent contractors. Um, I understand that employers would continue to receive tax deductions and a reimbursement for COVID-19-related paid leave, but it's kind of up in the air right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, Needless to say, there's a lot of speculation. No clear answers on this issue right now, but you're going to want to keep an eye on this issue, obviously. Of course, you can always check out Constanti's website for all the latest updates. Okay, moving on to number eight on our countdown of 2020 developments, which is another look back on a big development this past year, the Federal Unemployment Supplemental Benefits, courtesy of the CARES Act. And the CARES Act did a few things. One was to provide an additional $600 per week to individuals collecting unemployment benefits, which expired, and then it was followed by the $300 weekly boost as part of the Lost Wages Assistance Program, and that also expired. And the other things the CARES Act did was to expand coverage to workers who typically would not be eligible for unemployment benefits, such as independent contractors, as well as adding weeks of unemployment that could be collected. Susan, what do you know about what's next on this front? 
Well, on December 1st, Democratic senators introduced COVID-19 relief legislation called the American Worker Holiday Relief Act, which would retroactively extend the $600 weekly federal boost to unemployment insurance benefits through October of 2021. And I understand that the additional weeks of federal benefits in the program for gig and freelance workers would also continue depending on the unemployment rates. And it would add 26 weeks of federal benefits for workers receiving traditional unemployment insurance and provide an additional 13 weeks of benefits based on the state's unemployment rates. I know it provides for a few more things, but I think it's worth noting that about a week after that was introduced, the Trump administration proposed a $916 billion pandemic stimulus proposal relief package. Now Whoa. that plan, right? Like when you're talking in those numbers, like where- Billions a with a B. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does not include- uh, a proposed revival of the $300 weekly enhanced un- unemployment benefits, although it does extend other federal unemployment programs um, that are set to expire at the end of December. So this proposal would include another smaller round of direct payments to individuals, which would be approximately, I guess, $600 per person. Now, the administration's proposal also included funds for vaccine distribution and the revival of the Paycheck Protection Program, Needless to say, obviously, there's a lot up in the air, but leaders on both sides of the aisle have agreed that some sort of relief needs to be approved before Congress takes off at the end of the year. So stay tuned on this issue as well, and I'm sure we will see some developments here pretty soon. I'm pretty sure that we just spent the last, like, four or five minutes saying, we don't know what's going to happen, but here's some guesses. Um, Sorry, guys, our, our crystal balls are, like, broken right now. So let's move right along to number seven on our countdown and talk about something a little lighter. No reflection on the year of 2020 would be complete without mentioning all the hilarious and horrifying stories that have come out of workplace video conferencing uh, issues. I know we have discussed this topic before, but there's always new content here, Sherry. Do you have any particular tidbits that come to mind? Funny you should ask. You know, I always have a hashtag Florida man story up my sleeve. And before anyone feels like I'm picking on the residents of my great state, I will say that this one also includes a hashtag Florida woman too. And this stuff is happening all over the country and world. So it's not just here. Anyway, this one involves a couple of Florida attorneys who were on a recorded Zoom meeting with a client. And I think they were hoping people weren't paying attention or that most of the shenanigans were not visible on the screen. But of course, that turned out not to be the case because someone recorded it and posted it online. Let's just say that one of them was sitting at the desk and the other one was seen at the beginning of the video crawling under it. Oh, this is this is kind of a family show or well, at least it's like a 2013 <laughs> show. So we're just gonna we're just gonna leave that leave one there. there. Uh-huh. You would think that people would have figured it out by now, but apparently this PSA bears repeating. If you wouldn't do it at an in-person meeting, don't do it on Zoom or Teams or Google Hangout, what have you. Yeah, anything, you know, except maybe wearing yoga pants because I'm all about the (laughs) yoga pants this year. 
Uh, though we might also need to note that wearing clothes in general on a Zoom or any video conference is highly recommended. That falls into the category of also things I didn't think we needed to make a PSA about, but in case, you know, somebody somebody missed it earlier, wear pants. Um, I'm sure that our listeners would not engage in any of the behaviors we've discussed, but hey, it's probably a good idea for HR or management to reply, remind employees from time to time of the expectations surrounding work from home. You would probably prefer to avoid having one of your employees be the next internet sensation or engaging in behavior that potentially leads to uh, some liability or, hey, even simply having employees wasting time right now. Agreed. Okay, switching gears to a more serious topic, no recap of 2020 would be complete without mentioning diversity, equity, and inclusion. So for number six, we will highlight the broad topic of gender equality and racial equality or inequality, depending on which headline we're addressing. First, on a positive note, see, I told you I would be positive. Uh, this, <laughs> this summer brought us the Supreme Court Bostock decision, which held that sexual orientation and gender identity are protected categories under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This was definitely welcome news to the LGBTQ community and general supporters of equality in the workplace. That decision was definitely a big deal, but we also simultaneously saw an explosion of social unrest related to racial injustice, which gave rise and and more awareness to movements such as Black Lives Matter, which in turn has impacted a variety of employee-employer issues such as social media implications and hostile work environment claims. So as a result, many employers saw the importance of or renewed their focus on diversity and inclusion training and other inclusive initiatives. So we saw a big push in this direction, and I think we'll continue to see companies implement uh, diversity and inclusion programs and training in the future. I think as a result of that big push, however, President Trump saw some concerns with the messaging included in some diversity trainings. So as a result, he signed an executive order on September 22nd titled Combating Race and Sex Stereotyping. And this order focuses on prohibiting the federal government, U.S. military, and federal contractors from promoting race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating through workforce training. Under the executive order, covered government contractors must agree that they will not quote, use any workplace training that inculcates its employees any form of race or sex stereotyping or any form of race or sex scapegoating. Inculcates. Now, I consider myself to have an excellent vocabulary, but that's not one that you hear every day. No, but of course, I'm reading straight from the order. Um, Now that I've read this order so many times, I think it was going to become part of my daily terminology, and I think I'm going to use it with my kids. (laughs) But there's a bulleted list of eight types of messaging that are considered divisive topics that are off limits from any type of diversity training. And I'm not going to list all of them, but the gist is to avoid any messaging that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex, or that any group is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether unconsciously or consciously. The order also prohibits messaging that any individual, by virtue of his or her race or sex, bears responsibility 
for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex, or that any individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological stress on account of his or her race or sex, just to name a few. Huh. Interesting and a bit confusing, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this brings us to item number five of our countdown as we peek ahead to 2021. Um, Critics have expressed concern that this executive order has caused government contractors to cancel diversity training for fear that there is something in the training that would run afoul of that um, incredibly clear executive order and lead to liability. However, I think most legal pundits would agree that with the election of Joe Biden, this order will almost certainly be rescinded um, very quickly after he takes office. And on top of that, I think it would be reasonable to expect that Biden will institute a proactive requirement on federal contractors to require diversity and inclusion or implicit bias training and programming. Absolutely. Okay, for number four, I have to go with temperature checks and mask mandates in the workplace. We never could have imagined a year ago that employers would be implementing daily health checks and requiring employees to wear masks in the workplace, but, you know, it's become part of our everyday life now. Not without controversy, and employers are also dealing with the challenges of ADA and religious accommodation requests as well as different standards for certain questions and temperature thresholds in different jurisdictions. But it's such a huge change to the workplace that we couldn't fail to mention it. True. I would have never anticipated last December that I would own like 15 masks and be contemplating whether I needed to buy some additional holiday-themed masks and whether that was a a justifiable justifiable investment. (laughs) I digress. Okay, so for number three on the countdown, I'm going to lump together a variety of wage and hour rules. One is the Department of Labor's joint employer rule. On September 8th, the federal judge in the Southern District of New York vacated a portion of the DOL's regulations narrowing the scope of joint employer status under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And just by way of background, these DOL regulations were issued back in January of 2021, and without going into great detail, it made it harder to prove joint employer status in certain scenarios, which obviously is very employer-friendly. Right. However, Judge Wood vacated a portion of the regs on procedural, procedural grounds, and after that happened, it was expected that the DOL would appeal the decision. Now, with the election of Biden, it is likely that the appeal will be dropped, which would mean that we will likely see joint employer regulations um, that were are, are more consistent with guidance from the Obama era instead. You know, this is a case that can get a little heavy on the legalese, so let's just summarize it as I think we can expect an expanded definition for joint employers in the Biden administration, which ultimately would create more liability for companies as employers. Now, on the topic of other impacts to wage and hour laws, I think we can also expect an increase to the federal minimum wage um, and an increase in minimum salary for white collar exemptions and perhaps even increased penalties for FLSA violations 
in addition to back pay and liquidated damages, you know, all of these kind of on a wish list, not that there's some, you know, immediate law that's going to come into play. Sure. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that the uh, 2021 change of administration is going to be a whiplash event for employers. Whatever your political views, I think we can all agree that President Trump and President-elect Biden have um, slightly different views. So I think it's a great time to review your employee-related policies or budget to do so in 2021. You know, there's really never a bad time to make sure you get your house in order, but I especially agree now. So moving forward with our countdown, we are on number two, and while neither of us practice traditional labor law, we know just enough to issue spot and send these matters to our traditional labor partners, and there certainly will be some things to consider and expect for next year. Oh, yes. Um, I'm going to reiterate that no, we don't we don't do any labor, but our colleagues do. And we are told that there are quite a few things on the employee union legislative wish list that I understand we will be hearing about in the future. One is the enactment of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which will involve financial penalties if a company interferes with its employees' union organizing activities and also lead to personal, civil, and criminal liability for company executives in some situations. We can also expect the practice of union organizing through a process called card check. So what this will do is make it easier to organize a labor union in the workplace because employees are presented with these cards and then asked to sign them before an employer is even aware of what's happening. There's also a push to create a federal right to organize for local government employees and for independent contractors. I think it's safe to say that we may well see a return to the National Labor Relations Board rules from the Obama era, and that could include a return to the ban on confidentiality requirement during workplace investigations, perhaps perhaps some handbook implications, and could also permit employees to use company email for union organizing. Okay. I know there's a lot more, but I think that's enough union talk for today because my head is spinning. (laughs) So I'll set aside the drum roll I was going to play as we announce number one in our countdown, which is a question that seems to be asked nearly every day now. I bet you donuts that I know what the question (laughs) is. Oh, I know you'd win that bet. As we finish our countdown to 2021, the million dollar question is, can we require our employees to get a COVID-19 vaccine? As of the time of recording, we don't have a clear answer on this one yet. However, a great recap of where we are and what we do know can be found on our partner Robin Shea's Employment and Labor Insider blog. As you know, the UK has started administering a COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccines have not yet been approved by the US FDA, and the EEOC has not yet provided any guidance on whether employers can require their employees to get a COVID vaccination, though we do have some insider information that such guidance is in the works and imminent. And yes, a shout out to our listeners from the EEOC. Back to vaccines, what we do know is that the Americans with Disabilities Act restricts what medical information employers can obtain or ask of their employees. Generally, employers cannot require a medical exam or ask medical questions of an employee 
unless doing so is job-related and consistent with business necessity. Of course, pandemic can certainly change this general guidance, and in this case, the EEOC has taken the position that due to the national emergency, employers may take employee temperatures, conduct health screenings, and test for active cases of COVID-19 without running afoul of the ADA. Yes, and that background, combined with the prior guidance regarding flu shots, leads us to believe that the EEOC will likely allow employers to mandate COVID vaccinations, particularly for professions like medical providers and first responders. However, you know, we are fairly confident that they will require or at least encourage employers to make exceptions for medical or religious reasons. So there will be an obligation to perform some, you know, interactive process perhaps here. Agreed. Um, So, you know, stay tuned, right? Right. Stay tuned, subscribe to Robin's blog or to Constangie's newsletters because we will definitely provide more information as it becomes available. But Sherry, let's let's end with an inspirational message. Change can be good. Challenges can make you stronger. And even change on the podcast can be good, right? As long as it doesn't involve me singing. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining me today, Sherry. My pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to make our typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be wonderful if those of you listening to us would follow us, rate us, and especially leave us a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode, and happy holidays. 